For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. It's our tell show. It is Tuesday, December the 28th. We are almost done with 2021. We are in that lovely no man's land between Christmas and New Year's, which means you're either really busy or off on vacation. Whatever you're doing, you and yours, we hope you're well. We hope you're enjoying your holiday season. Uh, we're still putting in a little work here. We got some stuff to do between now and the end of the year. I'm going to talk a little bit about social media a little bit later on in the program, uh, how the thing that was said becomes a thing that everybody's talking about, and it doesn't really matter what it's talking about because the reaction is the important part. Today, one of our favorite guests, one of our regulars, Michael Siegel, our science guy, we're going to do a year in review for space and space news and technology and science. It was a big year from SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, all those got up as they call it, they actually got up in space. We put Shatner in space uh, on Christmas Day. You may have missed it. A really important space thing happened, the James Webb Space Telescope. That's kind of the semi-replacement expansion, does a few different things of the Hubble Space Telescope. They've got it up in orbit now. He's going to talk about that. And we're also going to ask him how, kind of his top couple of science and space stories for the year. That's later in the program. Also going to end on our good note, like we always do with a whole bunch of kids being kids, which always brings joy to everyone. But we're going to start with uh, a headline in the Washington Post. We've been talking a lot because the tagline for this program is turning down the noise. Um, propaganda comes in many forms. And just because you're being told one thing doesn't mean that's the thing that's actually happened. The right hand can do something to get the left hand unnoticed. You do it with toddlers. You can jiggle your car keys and they get kind of distracted and the left hand can do whatever. The right hand and the left hand don't know in what each other do. And that's a very, very old saying, as old as people who have had left and right hands. There's a headline in the Washington Post. And this is very much pay attention to the one hand. So the other hand, you don't notice what's going on. This piece, and I'm not saying the authors of it did this on purpose, I'm saying the truth behind it is very propagandish. It's a headline that says this. I'll just read it straight, and then we'll talk about it. Hong Kong is clinging to zero COVID, that's in quotes, and extreme quarantine. Talent is leaving in droves. Let's back up. Hong Kong 
has been in the midst of a several years long crackdown by the Communist Chinese Party, by the Chinese Communist Party. They have been systematically stripping the freedoms away from Hong Kong that Hong Kong enjoyed for many, many years as first as a British protectorate and then as a semi-autonomous region. We all knew this was coming. This is not surprising. They cannot allow things like free speech, free press. We know how they treat the rest of their country. We know that the Chinese Communist Party has to have everybody on one page. One China to them means everybody under their thumb. There is no room for dissension or debate. So Hong Kong, since the crackdown, by the way, you may have missed it over the holidays right before Christmas. They took down the memorial in Hong Kong's university to the Tiananmen Square massacre. They took it down in the dead of night, took it away, cannot have dissent, cannot be discussed. You can't even Google it. Not that they get access to Google. You can't even look it up. You can't talk about it. It's a verboten subject because it did not happen, according to the Chinese Communist Party. But we know better. So when we see a headline like Hong Kong is clinging to zero COVID and extreme quarantine, talent is leaving in droves, there's truth to that. They are having severe lockdowns. They are doing yet again a multi-week lockdown. But there's more going on here than that. Part of this is the Chinese Communist Party has to explain why people are fleeing Hong Kong in droves, those that have the ability to leave, why businesses are leaving in droves, why the people who can get away are, especially foreigners, especially foreign investment. Why are people leaving? They need an excuse because it cannot be that the Chinese Communist Party came in, put the boot heel down, and is crushing freedom. They're doing it right before our eyes. They're doing it right in front of the world. You can see it. You can look it up. You can find it. And if you just believe their propaganda, none of that's actually happening. The people of Hong Kong are thrilled to be part of one bigger China. So what does this headline tell us? They need an excuse. Yes, I'm sure some people are leaving because of the COVID restrictions, but just use a little common sense here. People already in one of the most expensive cities in the world aren't going to pick up and move over a three-week quarantine. Some There may be a few, but those would be the exceptions to prove the rule. What's really going on here is a yet another example of how propaganda can be used even in a legitimate news story. Of course, COVID's an issue. Of course, people are going to go places sometimes based on the COVID information. But what's really going on here is China's ruling people, China's ruling power needs to once again make an excuse that doesn't make them look bad. So they can blame COVID and they can blame the COVID restrictions and they can blame the lockdowns on the talent leaving, what's called the brain drain. These are the upper level folks, academics, uh, people that make things happen, business leaders. Those are the people that are leaving because they have the means to go elsewhere. But it's not really because of COVID. It's because of the Communist Chinese Party is crushing freedom, crushing dissent, and crushing anybody that gets in the way. So your only two options now in Hong Kong is to get out or kowtow. Some people will kowtow. They may not have a choice. We don't want to be overly judgmental because we know how the Chinese Communist Party does things. They can put your family in peril. They can threaten you. If you're a Wager, they can throw you in a concentration camp and most of the world will shrug at it. If you're an NBA player and the NBA or Nike or these other things, you have economic pressure that you can bring on folks. So we don't want to be overly judgmental on the people that stay and toe the line because they may be under severe threats. But those of us in the West, especially those of us in America, those of us that have freedom of speech, we don't have to kowtow. We only have to do it if we want to, only if we want to take headlines at face value. 
we don't have to play their game. We don't have to sing their song. We don't have to play by their rules because we still have freedom of speech and we should use it to call things as they are. So yes, there's probably some talent. There's probably some brain drain because of COVID. And there's people in the U.S. who want to be super anti-COVID and anti-vaccine and other things that are going to grab this headline and use it for their own purposes because they have agendas where it comes to COVID-19. This is where propaganda is so dangerous. The headline has truth in it, and some folks will be using it strictly as a COVID thing, and they may jump all over it strictly because it's a COVID headline that goes to one of their priors because they don't like lockdowns and they don't like government control. But don't miss the true story here. The Chinese Communist Party is perfectly happy for people to talk about people leaving Hong Kong because of COVID, because it gives them cover for why massive amounts of people are leaving Hong Kong the last few years and will continue to do so until at some point they will probably put a stop to it because it makes them look bad. One of the great cities of the world is fully under the control of the evil, wicked, despicable Chinese Communist Party. That's just the truth. COVID's just a cover. We always can find the truth if we're willing to just dig just a little bit deeper and see what is right in front of us and have the courage to say so. A lot of herd tale to come. We're going to have Michael Siegel on the show in a little bit, uh, talking space, year in review in space. We're going to have a good story at the end of the show, and we're going to talk next about social media and kind of how just the argument for the argument's sake has become the main thing instead of what you're supposed to be arguing with. We'll talk about that next, right after this on Hertel. Tell I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for being with us. Uh, hopefully, you also follow my writing at ordinary-times.com, Medium, and other places as opportunities arise. I've written for other publications here, there, and yonder. Um, but one thing we've been talking about on this program a lot, and I have also been writing about it uh, in yesterday's Ordinary Times at ordinary-times.com, is the way we deal with media and social media specifically, you know, we talk on this show, the tagline is turning down the noise. Well, there's good data behind why we call it noise. Uh, for example, Pew a few years ago uh, did a survey and found out that 80% of all tweets come from about 10% of Twitter's users. What that means is only about 10% of the people are actually saying stuff and the rest of it is just people amplifying it or commenting on it or replying to it. We've seen some news items the last couple of days where a lot of the news media, and it's a shocking amount, is just people reacting to things and responding to things. And it makes this cacophony of noise, both information-wise and sometimes actual literal noise on our radios and TVs and podcasts and everything else. It's a lot of yelling. It's a lot of caterwauling, we call it. It's just bad and it's unhelpful and you can't get anything done. So I took to the pages of Ordinary Times and I wrote a thing. This came out yesterday. And I want to read a little bit of it um, because I sometimes articulate things better when I write them uh, than when I just say them out loud. But it goes to this information. And, and keep that stat in mind as we go through this. Remember, 10% of Twitter users make up 80% of all the tweets. 
Uh, Facebook's probably the same thing. And we all know, and we've covered on this program before, the untoward actors. There's troll farms. There's foreign powers. There's propaganda, like we talked about earlier on this show. Uh, just because it's labeled news doesn't mean it's good or right or correct or it doesn't have an agenda to it. And we must be discerning. So reading from Ordinary Times, uh, a thing was said. That's it. That's the tweet, the Facebook post, the lower third graphic on the newscast, the keyword for SEO on written pieces online. That's search engine optimization. That's anybody does anything online these days. That's what they're shooting for. That means Google will pick it up. The buzzwords that will now be inserted in the future conversation so that the right kind of people know who you are talking the right kind of way about the right kind of thing. Trends will flow forth. Opinions will be opined and comments will be commentated. It is amazing how much of our modern news media environment, when you really get down to it under the blaring and caterwauling and remonstrations, revolves around a thing was said. The actual thing being said is of second, maybe third, perhaps even a lower rank of importance. Much like the MacGuffin in an action movie, a thing was said was just the thing to advance the plot, to get to the clever one-liner, to advance the love story everyone sees coming. To set up the plot twist, the same group of people of everyone also saw coming. We are going to get to the ending, Dagnabbit, and if we have to straighten out some logical curves to get there, fine. Thus, the MacGuffin becomes the writer's friend, smoothing out tight corners of not-quite-sensical stories, making straight the way for the protagonist, hastening the ending. A thing was said is the notification for the cultural and political discourse to commence. Like the wailing siren calling the volunteer fire department to come in a hurry, pre-pager and cell phone days, or warning of a tornado, or an air raid in some enemy like an old-timey movie. Means Katie, bar the door, gather the children, arm yourselves for interwebs battle, Google big words to lob with your tweeting trebuchet at them wrong folks over yonder. Whereas a town might gather to make sandbags to hold off a flood from their community, the tribes gather online with followers and email lists ready to thrust and parry over the thing that was said. A thing was said and must be responded to, and the response will create more response. Behold the new circle of internet commenting life, far from more wismonious than any Elton John song, bolder and garnering more attention than a mandrel going all Omora with a lion cub on top of a rock outcropping, and more viscerally satisfying than Tim Rice's pleasant and well-meaning yet ultimately vapid lyrics. The process goes thusly. A thing was said. Folks react to the thing that was said. Folks react to the folks that reacted to the thing that was said. So far, so good. Basic human stuff. Normal. But wait, like a Ronco commercial, there is more. The next steps are where modern technology and good old-fashioned human indulgence meets to create the current toxic mix some of those among us brew up on social media, news media, and elsewhere on the interwebs. Their reactions become much more important than the original a thing was said and, in fact, become the causation for continuation. Like that MacGuffin in the action movie, a thing was said is quickly brushed past because it's only needed as a jumping off point to the next thing. And the next thing in the internet debate over a thing was said is to repurpose the reaction to justify your own reaction. This is the beauty of the modern method, which isn't really all that modern. It's just with technology, this particular strand of human behavior is louder, faster, stronger, more immediate, and all too often monetized. If the crusader, either for or against the thing that was said, it matters not and works ambidextrously, gets a strong reaction, that reaction in and of itself, then proof that the initial take on a thing was said was not only valid, but needed and didn't go far enough. 
The pushback and outrage frees the practitioner of this method of discourse from ever needing to worry about perspective or context. If you're getting flack, you must be over the target, they will loudly boast. The target, like the thing that was said, is now secondary to your flack acquiring. It makes for a tight, foolproof logic loop for those who careen from this thing that was said to the next thing that was said because thing that was said can just be slotted into the ongoing worldview of making the right enemies, ticking off the right people, and keeping oneself at the center of all of it. If something is outrageous, you must be right. If the right kind of people are mad at you, you must be right. If anyone not named you fails to see the brilliance of your take on a thing was said, they clearly just don't get it. Just keep fighting, keep attacking, keep doubling down, keep getting flack so that you can claim you are over the target. If less is more, just imagine how much more more would be, right? You never have to be wrong if you are always under attack, you see, because now everything you do is self-defense. The truth is, reaction in this pattern to a thing that was said is not free thinking or strategy or even operational ideology. It is fully reactionary, self-serving, masturbatory. Far from debate with this sort of thing is passed off for from the debate me bro school of deep thoughts with Jack Handy. A better nomenclature is that this is just base level, general purpose, boring as beige, jackassery. Stoking outrage for the sake of getting more outrage for the sake of making yourself important is just that. You can read the whole piece in Ordinary-Times. Uh, it's up. It's under my name. Read it all. I stand by it. Probably make some folks mad. That's all right. That's how this thing works. It's called free speech. I make you mad and you say something to make me mad. What I can control is how I react to your reaction. And that's what we're talking about in this piece. Again, it's at Ordinary-Times.com along with all the other great contributors, many of whom appear on this program, like our friend Michael Seal on today's program. Make sure you're checking it out every day. They do good work and it only costs you a click. We'll be back with more Hurt Tell right after. Welcome back to Hurt Tell, and I'm thrilled to once again talk to a guy who's a regular on the program, and we're happy and thrilled he is. Michael Siegel, sir, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Hope your family had a great holiday season. Um, everybody's doing their end of year review thing and something that's in your wheelhouse. It has been a huge, huge year for space and space travel and astronomy and astrophysics. And you look a bit like a Renaissance painting with the halo behind your head, but tell folks what's behind you because that's kind of a really big deal in space circles. It's something that's been a long time in the making. And on Christmas Day, while everybody else was busy reveling, uh, it finally got up, as they say, in your line of work. So tell us all about it. So what's behind me is the James Webb Space Telescope while uh, it was being worked on uh, down at Goddard Space Flight Center. So this is uh, NASA's next great observatory. Um, it's a 6.5 meter, uh, that's 21 feet wide uh, mirror made of uh, 18 hexagons that can be reconfigured to, to focus. Um, and so uh, this was proposed 25 years ago as the next generation space telescope as a sort of successor to Hubble. 
Um, and uh, so for long that time, it's been in development. Uh, it's become kind of infamous because it ran way behind schedule and under but and over budget. Um, originally, they said 2007 launch and $500 million. I don't think anyone thought that was realistic. I'm not sure uh, what cost model they were using at that point. But um, by 2010, we were in a closer ballpark of where it was going to end up. But uh, after years and years of delays, it finally did launch from French Guiana this weekend um, and successfully attained orbit and uh, departed from the uh, launch vehicle, deployed its solar panels. And uh, just yesterday, the high gain antenna came online. And so the next few uh, weeks are going to be very tense. Uh, it's going to slowly move out to the Lagrange 2 point. That's a point that's about 1.5 million miles further out from the Earth. Uh, for, from the Earth than from the Sun. And so that's going to allow it to maintain a certain alignment, keep its uh, alignment pointed at the Sun. What it has is this massive sun shield that will protect it from the solar heat because it works in the infrared. So you want the telescope to be as cold as possible. You want it to be about 50 degrees Kelvin, you know, very, very cold. And so it's going to deploy this massive sun shield and that L2 point will keep it oriented so that sun shield is pointed at the sun without using any fuel. And um, so that's going to be a tense couple of weeks. It's going to deploy that sun shield. Um, they, when they were designing it and developing it, they did have a rip in the sun shield during one deployment. And so that's going to be a very nervous time. Anytime you have a moving part on a spacecraft, it's nervous. Uh, then the uh, telescope will unfold. It'll move to L2. And if everything goes right, Within about six months, we'll start seeing the first light images uh, from her. Now, when we do science fiction, and you do these great videos, by the way, on YouTube, you need to subscribe to his channel uh, where you explain science fiction and talk through them, both as a science fiction fan and as a uh, scientist and kind of what, what would work, what wouldn't work, what's fantasy. In science fiction, those are just kind of throwaway cut shots and filler of something deploying or something launching or something positioning or put us in orbit number one or that that stuff's all throwaway but in your line of work that's actually the really really hard and technical part isn't it yeah um this is something that nasa plans to the nth degree because you only get one chance and you can't send even if the shell program were still active this is going out to the lagrange point we don't have any spacecraft that can go up there and rendezvous with it. There are contingency plans that we could send a robotic mission out to service it if it became necessary, but there's been nothing built for that. Uh, so it's it's pretty much on its own. So you plan these things to the nth degree. I remember talking to one of the scientists who worked on JWST about how they had, what they did was they got a giant piece of fabric and went in a big room with a whole bunch of them and spent weeks sort of unfolding it by hand to see what technique was the most efficient and what was the least risky in terms of damaging the sunshield. Uh, so that is something that they did a, a lot of. Another thing that happened with this mission was one of the things you do is vibration testing. You put the spacecraft on a table and you shake the heck out of it. And because it's going to be launched, it's going to be on the top of a rocket. So you want to make sure it's going to stay intact. There have been incidents where during a launch, something broke or came free, and they had a whole bunch of screws fall out when they did the vibration testing. So they had, that caused a delay. They had to go back and fix those all. And you know, on the one hand, it's embarrassing that that happened. On the other hand, it would have been way more embarrassing if it had happened on launch. 
Um, another thing they do is thermal vac. You put it into a vacuum chamber, bring it down to space temperatures to make sure nothing's going to outgas or break. Another thing to simulate launch, uh, there's a room down at Goddard, which has the biggest subwoofer you've ever seen in your life that just blasts noise at these spacecraft to make sure that the, the vibrate, the sound isn't going to damage them. And so uh, there is enormous amount of testing you do. Um, the, the mission I work on SWIFT, one of the reasons it's so successful is uh, that my predecessor, uh, they actually went down to Goddard while the spacecraft was there, pulled out all the filters and put them in with a different glue because we discovered that the uh, cement had outgassed on orbit that they were planning to use and, and contaminated the chamber so you didn't get as good images. And so uh, that was something that they, they fixed uh, before launch and one of the reasons it's been so successful. So there's the amount of preparation you do is, uh, is enormous. And, you know, we, can, we tend to compress it. Like the other thing that happened this year was a Mars rover. All its moves are planned well in advance. They, it proceeds very slowly because it takes 15, 30 minutes, a couple of hours for those images to get back from you so that if the spacecraft goes into a ditch, you don't find out for a while. So you want to move very slowly, see what is going on, have a chance to react and give it new instructions and so forth. So these are very careful, very well-planned things that we do in space, because as, as I said, you only get one chance to do it right. Talk about the scale we're dealing with here, because I think one thing that really throws everybody off, and I ask you this, you know, when we're just talking all the time, it's like, put a scale on it, you know, let me, let me get something I can get my brain around. We're, we're talking about something like you just said, the Lagrange point, we can't send a rescue aircraft to the Lagrange point. Well, in space terms, that's pretty close. That's like going down the street in space terms, but we can't even put a spacecraft over there on, on any, it'd probably take us 10 years to figure out some way to get a spacecraft to it. Talk about the scale of these things because we have lower Earth orbit, upper Earth orbit. You're talking about the Lagrange point. You're talking about something going to Mars and we can't even get the message for 15 or 20 minutes. Just talk scale for a minute because it, it seems really small in one way. But then when you start looking, at it, it's like, man, this stuff's big. So, yeah, as you go up into space, you know, about 100 kilometers or 60 miles up, you have uh, what we call the Kármán line. Uh, that's where the uh, atmosphere sort of drops off. And that's referred to as the edge of space. That's where Blue Origin and places like that have been going. You can get that on a suborbital where, you know, you launch from Texas and you land in Texas. Um, and so that's where sort of space begins. Above that, out to maybe, uh, let's see, 1,200 kilometers or so, or 2,000 kilometers, 1,200 miles, um, you have what we call low Earth orbit. And that's where we put a lot of things. Um, that's where Hubble is. That's where the ISS is. That's where most of our spacecraft are. That's where you have sort of the minimum stable orbit that's going to last for a while. You still have some atmosphere and some atmospheric drag. Things in LEO will slowly uh, drift in and eventually re-enter the atmosphere. Um, and that will depend on their orbit and the activity of the sun. The sun makes the atmosphere swell out, which can increase the drag and make them come in quicker. Beyond that, then you get out to maybe 26,000 kilometers, 26,000 miles, 40,000 kilometers. That's a geostationary orbit where the orbital period matches how fast the Earth rotates. That's where we put up a lot of satellites that uh, do communications and so forth. Then you at 250,000 miles, you have the moon. And then at 1.5 million, you have where this Lagrange point is. And then you're talking tens of millions or hundreds of millions of miles when you get to planets 
90 million miles to the uh, sun and then trillions of miles to the nearest star. So the, the scales go up very, very fast. Um, if you go on to YouTube, you can find these uh, videos called Powers of 10. Uh, there was one made maybe 50 years ago uh, that's in black and white. There's another one the Smithsonian remade about 20 years ago that sort of expand out from Earth, increasing in powers of 10 and then go into atoms. And that get, can give you a nice sense of just how enormous the universe is and how small these things are, even though they're big achievements for us. Yeah, we're talking to Michael Siegel, our resident space ace and expert in all things scientific and a very smart guy. Uh, you, you mentioned this thing's been 20 some years in the making. I also don't think people understand the lag time on this thing. Now, it's been a little bit more because things like SpaceX, people paid attention to it, but um, they don't understand those. That's kind of an accelerated time frame. I remember when we were going to do the Artemis stuff, uh, we were going to do Apollo replacements. We were going to do shuttle replacements. The shuttle took quite a while to kind of get up and get online. And then when it went away, all of a sudden there was nothing. And people are like, well, wait a minute. Why is it taking 10, 15 years? Um, discuss that lag time, though, from the scientists and the astronomer and actually working in the space program side of it. If this is 20 years, you should already know it's 20 years from now, but we really don't in most cases, do we? Um, with something as massive as JDOST, that does take a long time. Um, there are a variety of reasons why it takes so long. One of them is just to, is you're developing new technology and it takes time to develop that technology. You have to test it. Nowadays, we have, you know, technology can be tested on rocket flight, small rocket flights, what we call sounding rockets or balloon flights even. Um, and so there's an enormous development time because you are pushing the technological edge. Um, I think that NASA is trying to focus more on things that can be done on an accelerated cycle. Uh, I don't think they see JWST as necessarily the model for how we should do things, but it, it does, you know, again, when you're pushing the technological edge, it can take time like that. I'm talking to Michael Siegel uh, on Herd Tell, a regular, we hope he continues to be a regular and we'll continue to talk space the year that was in space uh, right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Back to Herd Tell, I'm Andrew Donson, joined with our good friend Michael Siegel. Always thrilled to talk a little space with him and the year that was in space. Uh, you've been talking about the, the James Webb telescope that just went up. We, we see all the SpaceX stuff. We have the Blue Origin stuff, Virgin Galactic, which is going to be kind of a sightseeing thing, it looks like. SpaceX is actually, you know, putting stuff into orbit and passengers and things like this. Is something like the Space Telescope, is there a differentiation here? Because this more research-driven stuff that maybe doesn't have the commercial into it that the, you know, SpaceX or the Virgin or the Blue Origin has... Is this the argument of why this can't all be privatized? We still need a NASA. We still need a public-private partnership. Is this a good argument for it, or is this just kind of status quo for that? Um, I think it's a good argument for it. Um, NASA brings along a certain amount of expertise and scale uh, for big projects like JWST that um, private industry would probably not be able to bring. Um, but we'll see. I mean, Elon Musk has talked about putting telescopes in space um, in response to complaints about the Starlink satellite uh, obscuring the views from uh, Earth. 
Um, we'll see if anything comes of that and whether he can do it on a faster timescale and cheaper than NASA can. Um, but there is a certain weight that needs to be brought to these programs that I think uh, NASA needs to bring. Uh, when you're talking about something, I mean, the, even a relatively small space telescope is a collaboration of several countries and the Europeans contributed about, I think it's about 700 million euros to the uh, JWST program. You're talking about collaborations between multiple institutions and universities, thousands of scientists and engineers and so forth. JWST is amazingly complex. I mean, HST is amazingly complex. And um, so what they are doing in SpaceX, as awesome as it is, is still relatively simple compared to, uh, to, to something like this. You know, Mars rovers are amazingly complex. Um, the, you know, all of the satellites that we put up, these are very complex machines compared to a rocket. And so having, you know, improvements in rocketry and cutting in the, into the cost of that, you know, often the launch is one of the most expensive parts of these things. Um, that can help. But I think with something like this, this uh, kind of a massive program, this is something where having a private public partnership is a little more appropriate than uh than a purely private thing i'm talking space with michael siegel the year that it was in 2021 the other part of that is something that you know because it's what you spend a, a good bit of your time doing but uh, the general public doesn't realize the continuing infrastructure the tracking the data collection you're, you're talking you know you're hoping to get i'm assuming probably what 10 20 years out of this piece of equipment that's a lot of infrastructure that's a lot of support uh Talk about what goes into these things. It, it's great that it got up and we're all excited about that. But now this is actually when the work actually starts and you have to maintain this thing and you have to use the data. Talk about the support structure. Now that it's up there, what's going to go on? Because we've heard about tr Hubble for you know 25 years, whatever it's been now. People don't realize there's a lot that goes into these things and there's going to be even more that goes into this uh, new JD. I can't even do the acronym. What is it now? James Webb, JWTS. Yep. There you go. I got uh, it. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. The amount of ground support that has to be done to uh, continue these operations is pretty intense. What I do is um, support for the SWIFT mission. And we have three institutions that do most of that uh, support, actually four. Um, and probably even at this stage, late in the mission, we've been up to 17 years, uh, at least a dozen people who are doing support for science and, and so forth. So, I mean, you have to, first of all, bring the instruments online. Uh, that's gonna take a while. Then you have to calibrate the instruments, uh, figure out how to correct the images, how to process the data so that it makes sense. Um, you know, you just get a certain, you know, you, let's say you look at a star and you measure a certain brightness. Well, that's for the telescope. You need to know what that is on an abstract scale, on an absolute scale. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. The spacecraft is going to need uh, maintenance uh, systems that need to be monitored. Um, if something goes wrong, that needs to be fixed. If uh, the systems are going to change, the spacecraft is gonna lose sensitivity. The instruments are gonna lose sensitivity over time. That needs to be accounted for. You also need a team of people. This too will put the data, make the data available to the public and are available to other scientists who need help with their data, you know, hey, I don't understand why this image looks this way. Can you help me and so forth? So there's a, there's a huge amount of infrastructure. My first job out of graduate school was at the uh, Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. 
And that is a pretty massive building uh, filled with a mix of people who are engineers who maintain the spacecraft, data scientists, uh, planners. You have to plan the spacecraft very exquisitely to make sure you're getting lots of data and that you're not doing anything that's going to be endangered. You're keeping the solar panels aligned so that it's powered up. In this case, not interfering with the sun shield. You know, these are very complex operations to do. And so uh, they have probably, I, I don't know the actual employment numbers, but I would guess dozens to hundreds of people on the ground who are going to be supporting this. Yeah. At least at initial stages. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's a massive undertaking. It really is a, you know, we, we've kind of taken it for granted in modern technology, but this really is one of those great scientific achievements when you get into breaking it down. All right, it's the end of the year. You're our science guy. Uh, everybody has to do their best of or top whatever, top three, top five, top 10. Give, there was a lot of space news this year. Obviously, the James Webb Telescope we're talking about. We've talked about SpaceX. We put Shatner in space. Give me, give me your top two or three things this year in order. What, what was the biggest deals in space, space travel, space exploration for the year of our Lord 2021? Uh, I think landing the uh, Perseverance rover on Mars was a big deal. Uh, this was the, se- the second time we've used that technique to land, and it's uh, launched a little hovercraft and so forth. It's getting some amazing information. Uh, I think probably within the next decade, we may have a very definitive answer on whether there was very primitive life or the building blocks of life on Mars. We're getting very close to that answer. So that was a a huge story. And the private spacecraft, I think, was a big deal. Um, I I know a lot of people think of them as stunts and, you know, worry about the rich taking over space. I'm less worried about that because, as I said, going into space is a lot more complex than just launching a rocket. But uh, I think that brought a lot of I said the attention it brought, the excitement it brought to a lot of people, I think was uh, was very good. Um, obviously, James Webb. I mean, if you broaden it to all of science, obviously the pandemic and the vaccine development that was you know probably the biggest story of the year I think in terms of science. But uh, it's been 2021 has been a very good year for science, a very good year for space. And we've had a lot of really great breakthroughs. I I write, you know, every two weeks about what's been going on in science. And uh, I have not lacked for things to write about, even putting aside the pandemic. It's there's been just so many breakthroughs and discoveries this year. It's been incredible. Yeah, it really has. Uh, Okay, the modern age we live in, uh, you are self-aware. It's one of the things that make you a great writer and a good friend and somebody we love to talk to. So we just got to go ahead and bring it up. How is the James Webb Space Telescope going to be memed? We know uh, Hubble makes appearances. There are gifts that you can pull up for it. Of I don't care. Even if I use the Hubble Space Telescope, I can't find how much I don't care. So how is the James Webb Telescope over the next 10, 12 years, how is it going to become a meme or a joke, do you think? How would you give me some astronomy humor here? Uh, I'd have to think about that. Um, probably one of the things... I think a lot of the origin, the memes may center around what JDST is doing. Uh, it's looking into the infrared. It's looking at the uh, some of the most distant and faintest things we can find. Uh, it's looking at what we call the, the, the dark ages, where we are between the cosmic micro background, which we can see in the radio, and the first galaxies that we can see in the optical. That's the area it's filling in where the first galaxies form. So I would say uh, maybe a, a joke in that line would be, People have been debating this so long that you need JWST to see when the debate began. 
That's kind of lame. I have to do <laughs> Good enough, man. No, they'll they'll figure out some way to do it. It's an amazing piece of technology, and uh, just as your uh, friend and your editor, I've appreciated you have done yeoman's work, and I don't just say that as a joke. You have done an amazing job at ordinary dash times this com this year, putting uh, the COVID stuff together, the science stuff. You're always there when we need you. So just on a personal level, thank you. And uh, we hope you have a very, very good and productive 2022. And uh, we hope you will continue to be with us to explain the chaos on the science side of it, because you are a scientist, which them's the rules. We have to believe you now, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially my opinions on science fiction movies. You, you have to accept that. I uh, yeah. can't disagree. I, I do hope you'll do more of those because that's badly needed. And, you know, the, f- the fun thing about that is it, it really is, if you can do it that way, it makes for a fun gateway into the more serious science, too. So, um, well, I, I enjoy doing it because I, I love movies and TV and science fiction. And even when there's a flight of fancy, I like, you know, to talk about it and, you know, where this intersects with real science. And uh, I mean, there are other people who have done this, but it's just something I, and I enjoy doing. Yeah. And we enjoy reading it and we enjoy watching it on YouTube. Tell folks where they can find you, your YouTube channel, your Twitter, and all the things you have going on, my friend. If you just uh, look at Michael Siegel astronomy on YouTube, you'll probably find me. Um, it's also uh, linked on my Twitter account, which is H A L underscore R T F L C. Uh, from an old website. Um, and if you go to ordinarytimes.com and click on my name, you'll find Twitter there. So everything flows through Ordinary Times. Yep. And we are proud to have you and we appreciate you greatly. If I don't talk to you before then, you have yourself a wonderful new year, you and your family, my friend. You too. Thanks for being with us on Hertel. All right. We'll be back. Welcome back to Herd Tell Show. I'm Andrew Donson. A quick update on a story that we have been talking about uh, both on Herd Tell, also in our writing, wrote a piece at uh, Ordinary Times about it, about kind of little joking in the title about, you know, government programs that work so bad they can't even spend government money doing them. Uh, A lot of these states and localities, and I use my home state of West Virginia as an example, had tons of CARES Act money left over that they had to spend by the end of the year. It was use or lose type money. Uh, if you're familiar with how government funding works, use or lose means you got to use it by the end of the year. Or it just floats off into the ether. Uh, and again, this is from the CARES Act from last year. It's already been extended. Uh, so an update on that, because we did criticize uh, Governor Jim Justice and West Virginia for sitting on all this money. So from uh, the excellent reporting that goes on at Mountain State Spotlight, after sitting on, I'm sorry, this was written by Douglas Soul. After sitting on one hundreds of millions of dollars in federal aid for much of the pandemic, Governor Justice has at the 11th hour earmarked the last of West Virginia's CARE Act money to food bank and emergency responders, but also to long-term programs with few details announced. Uh, this came out on December the 23rd, so right before Christmas. The governor said details of the $22 million back-to-work program, the largest single expenditure included in the last-minute announcement, would come later. Justice's announcement on the day before Christmas Eve included $7.25 million for food pantries and homeless shelters. The governor earmarked $10 million for an emergency management crisis fund for first responders, something that's been badly needed, by the way. But struggling West Virginians have for many months begged the government to use the $1.25 billion he received in April of 2022 for urgent needs. Critics were pleased with Tuesday's and Thursday's announcements, excuse me, but said it came later than they would have liked. 
At the beginning of the week, Justice had more than $120 million CARES Act dollars to spare. On Tuesday, he announced $48 million would go towards setting up a program that aimed to train new nurses but provided no immediate help for West Virginia nurses who await another winter onslaught of COVID-19 cases expected to flood the state's hospital over the next few months. His Thursday announcement laid out plans for more than $70 million. That was still unaccounted for. Under federal rules, the state had until the end of the month to earmark the money and until September of 2022 to spend it. For the whole state to have that many food pantries, the way people have been dealing with it, I think a lot more should have been put into them, Garrison said. That's uh, Pam Garrison of the Poor People's Campaign. Take that for what that's worth. Citing the millions that went instead to multiple rounds of an unsuccessful vaccine lottery. I think there's a fair criticism here. Uh, The vaccine lottery was fine. A lot of people got a lot of good stuff. Full disclosure, a member of my family got uh, something from that sweepstakes, but it also spent about 10 or $12 million for the governor to go around and what uh, essentially became a game show. Meanwhile, all this funding is just sitting there waiting to be expended. It's a criticism we leveled. So in the interest of being fairness, we're coming back and citing that they have earmarked this money now. Uh, as with all things, the devil will be in the detail and we should keep our government accountable. And that means keeping track of this funding after the headline goes away and the nitty gritty of actually governing commences. Something to keep an eye on going forward, whatever state or municipality you live in, same situation. You can look up CARES Act. They have to report it. It's required. Find out where that money went and ask your government, local, state, and federal officials what it went to. We can't complain if we don't hold them accountable, and holding them accountable starts with getting good information. So once again, we try to bring you good information here on Herd Tell so that you can do so. More Herd Tell right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. back to Herd Tell, uh, we always try to end on a little bit of a happy note. So I'm going to refer you to a video. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's their NBA team, for those of you that don't sports ball, uh, have a cool little tradition they do. And they did it over their Christmas games and it kind of went viral. But uh, instead of a halftime show, they just get these little kids. Uh, I'm not sure the age range here, probably six, seven, eight years old or, or younger here. Um, just old enough they can get it up to the rim, basically. But um, instead of having a halftime show, they just put them on teams, put them in jerseys and let them play. And uh, it is just pure joy to watch. And the crowd really got into it. Um, one of the little kids hit a hit an NBA range three and the crowd just went nuts for it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of halftime shows. I think they careen to silly. You're putting artists in a bad spot trying to entertain. I know they do cool stuff like the people that juggle and, you know, jump through fire and all this sorts of thing. But I would encourage all teams to do this. I know hockey teams sometimes do this. They'll have the little kids play. Uh, I know the NFL, they do the pump, pass, and kick competitions. Just throw some kids out there. Uh, maybe whatever sport you're watching, and let's get rid of the dumb, silly halftime shows and just get some kids out there to enjoy the game and to bring a little joy to the stands. Just an idea. I like it. Spread a little joy. Costs a lot less money. Looks better on TV. Uh, that'll do it for Hertel today. However, you're watching on YouTube or the Facebook page for Big Talker Stream, or if you're listening on any of the podcasting platforms, we sure appreciate it. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're sharing it on your social media to people. That only costs you a click, but we sure appreciate it. It lets people know that what we're doing here is worth their time. We're acutely aware that that's the most valuable thing you can give us is your time, and we work really hard to never waste it. 
We try to turn down the news cycle noise on culture and politics, give you good information, spend a little time talking about things that actually matter, not the things that don't. And we sure appreciate your time. So if you could leave a rating and comment, we'd sure appreciate it. And we'd love to hear from you too. You can get us on social media at Hertel Show on Twitter. My Twitter is down there on the tag. It's at four for the fire. Uh, you can also send us an email, hertelshow at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Ask questions, have comments, epistles, whatever you got. Let's have it. Um, keep your bearing and be nice. Uh, we will read it on the show, maybe even. And would love to hear from you. Would love to interact with you. Find us however you're doing so. Also, if you're watching on the Facebook uh, feed on the Big Talker streaming service, bigtalkerfm.com, or on their Facebook, Big Talker FM, uh, you can leave comments and the discussion going there too. We see you folks. We appreciate you. Wherever you are, across the street and around the world, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. Talk to you again tomorrow as we try to finish off 2021 on her tail show. Appreciate y'all. All the music on her tail is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.